Yo, this is Rob Harvilla from 60 Saws That Explain the 90s, the world's greatest loopy and perverse and inaccurately named music nostalgia podcast. We're doing 90 songs now because there's too many songs. Pearl Jam, Jay-Z, Jewel, U2, Cher, Hootie. These are just some of the names people yell at me on the internet because we're back. More great songs, more rad special guests, more loopy perversity. Join us once more on 60 Songs That Explain the 90s every Wednesday on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Preview Show. My name is Danny Heifetz. Later in the show, I will be joined by Stephen Rees and Ben Solak to discuss this weekend's games. But before we get into that... I'm going to talk to my colleague, Nora Princiati, about Bill's safety, Damar Hamlin, and the updates we got on Thursday. So as everyone listening probably already knows, Damar Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest on the field on Monday Night Football. Nora, you've been reporting on this all day. It's Thursday today. How is Damar doing? Yeah. So uh, after a bunch of calls today, relatively speaking, I am so happy that I can tell you, Danny, that uh, there have been really, really positive developments. Um, so it's Thursday night as we're recording this Demar Hamlin's been awake. Uh, he woke up on Wednesday night. He was able to move his hands, move his feet. He can hold hands with his doctors or with his family. He can squeeze their hands. Uh, he is still, um, he is still breathing, uh, with the help of a ventilator, but he is able to understand who he is, where he is. The first thing he asked his night nurse, who was the person who was there when he woke up, um, using pen and paper on a clipboard, he, he wrote out asking her who won the game. Um, it is too early to know, uh, whether or not he's going to make a full recovery or if he doesn't, what he'll be dealing with after this. But two doctors from UC medical center where he, uh, is currently, in the ICU, doctors Timothy Pritz and William Knight gave a press conference today. And Dr. Knight said that while again, stressing too early to know, the range of possible outcomes now extends to DeMar being physically the exact same person that he was before Monday night, which relatively speaking, just feels like an incredible development. Um, so their next step for him is to get him breathing on entirely on his own. He is still on the ventilator, like I said. Uh, that started giving him 100% of the oxygen that he needed to breathe and has gone down to below 50% at least. Um, I think it's substantially lower, but I'm not, not sure about that since then. But once he is completely breathing on his own, they will remove the ventilator and that will be the point at which they're able to... Uh, get from considering him still in in critical condition, even though the progress has been really substantial to being in stable condition and able to breathe on his own. But um, neurologically, Dr. Pritz said uh, that he's home and it appears that all the cylinders are firing within his brain. And while they're going to have to, you know, assess a lot going forward, it seems like uh, a full recovery is on the table and he knows who he is. He knows his family. He he was surprised that he'd been out to the world for two days, but um, appears to have his memory and, and cognitive function and all of that, which is just great. Well, that is absolutely fantastic news. That is about as good as I guess we could hope for so far. Uh, have we learned what happened? Yeah. So not, not really. Um, the doctors still don't know what caused uh, his cardiac arrest or if the hit that he took um, as part of the tackle on the play 
that involved T. Higgins, um, who, by the way, uh, you know, the Bills also spoke and, and Josh Allen was really quick to point out that he um, was feeling for T, obviously, because that's a, just a traumatic thing and that he hoped that he knew that that was a routine football play and there was absolutely nothing that T could have done differently. Since Hamlin was tackling T. Higgins on the play. In question. Yeah. Um, and they don't know if that's what caused it. Uh, so the, the thing that would have happened, um, if that were the case is, uh, something called commotio cordis, which is a rare cause of cardiac arrest, which happens when there's a blow to the chest and the right spot at the right angle at the exact right time within the cardiac cycle. Um, and it's real. it's, it's certainly known and the medical professionals who are at the game are, are prepared for it because it is something that happens with body blows. So people in various sports, um, actually baseball and lacrosse in particular, sometimes deal with it, but the blow to the chest has to occur within around a 20 millisecond window within the cardiac cycle. Um, if you look at a heartbeat on an EKG, it happens uh, right after the second spike of electrical activity within the heartbeat. So it is a very, very rare, almost freakish confluence of events that would cause that. Um, what we know is that the the situation that DeMar was in does kind of fit fit the the description of what commotio cordis would look like on a football field. But the way that that is diagnosed is only by process of elimination. So, you know, um, hoping that DeMar continues to have his condition approve and he stabilizes and gets to the point where the doctors can run a whole bunch of tests. That's exactly what they'll do. And they will search for other potential causes of the cardiac arrest. So they'll see if there's anything that was undiagnosed that's, that's wrong with his heart or his cardiovascular system. And if they do that and they can't find anything, then eventually that is how they would reach a diagnosis of commotio cordis is only by process of elimination. Um, because the, the only way to do that is, is just by saying, okay, the circumstances of this look like ones that would cause this and we don't have any other reason for it. So they won't really know exactly what caused it um, probably for a little bit if they're able to figure that out. The thing that the doctors stressed, um, which is that what we do know is that the fact that he received good quality medical attention incredibly quickly is almost certainly the reason that you and I are, are having a conversation right now where we can talk about things like best possible outcomes and a return to a normal life. Um, the doctors at UC said that when the Bills trainers first called everybody uh, into the middle of the field to help him, at first he had a pulse. Um, and then when he lost his pulse, he was right under the nose of the physician. So Bill's assistant athletic trainer, Danny Kellington, administered CPR and was able to start doing that almost immediately when he lost his pulse. Um, and that immediate and high quality CPR and the immediate defibrillation that they were able to give him very well could have saved his life or, or saved um, him from suffering much worse uh, long term consequences from the cardiac arrest. So all of the doctors were were just really clear about pointing that out. I've seen a lot of things today, like the the Saints, I believe, um, in Demar's honor, donated a lot of uh, cardiac emergency equipment to local um, like youth centers and and recreational facilities around New Orleans, which I just thought was really cool. I, I I've seen people talking about like, oh, this makes me want to take a, a CPR course, which I think everybody should think about. I'm certainly thinking about it because, um, you know, while, uh, it is a particular situation to be on an NFL field where there's 30 doctors who talk pregame about how to handle a situation like this, the fact that he got that help so quickly, um, everybody stressed probably made a massive difference in, in the potential outcome. Yeah. I mean, shout out to all the emergency responders. I mean, that 
you know, doctors, medical personnel in the game and honestly just everywhere because I mean, that's incredible. And I mean, yeah, with, as you said, I mean, without that training and the timeliness, like who knows what conversation we're having right now. Um, how are the bills doing? I feel like the players on the field, I feel like, I mean, in a good way, we were not able to like watch this, but I feel like we digested the moment through the emotions that we were seeing on the faces. A lot of these players, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Stefan Diggs. So I'm curious, how are, how are like the bills doing right now? Yeah, I mean, they went through a really, really traumatic event, right? Um, particularly, you know, close teammates, but also they all were were huddled around kind of shielding him and, and the doctors from the view of cameras while they were saving his life and, and fighting to restart his heart, which that's got to be a really, really scary thing to to watch and then even just for a football player to think about, right, that that level of consequence from something that happens on the job on a football field. Um, you know, Josh Allen at, at his press conference said that some of them are going to be changed forever. That probably extends to most of the guys um, on the team and, and probably a lot of the Bengals and just a lot of people who saw it or were were involved in that game. Um, both Josh Allen's news conference and Sean McDermott's were really, really emotional. It sounds like it's been, you know, not only a, an emotional week there, certainly, but, um, you know, we had, we had Catherine Fitzgerald from the Buffalo news on the pod earlier this week, and she was talking about how just Buffalo as a community has been through a lot this winter, you know, there's the mounting death toll from the storm. Um, and then that's a community that's still recovering from a mass shooting event. Uh, so there's just a lot of really heavy stuff. Um, the fact that there was really good news today, I think was, was huge. Um, just meant a lot to them. And it sounded like after, uh, last night, I believe Josh Allen had a lot of teammates over and they, prayed together and spent time together and, and talked together. And he said uh, that he started to see a few smiles there and that that certainly continued um, today when they had a Zoom call with Damar's dad, Mario. So uh, I, I think the fact that Damar is awake and that there's positive news has really, really lifted spirits there. But I also think that that doesn't change the fact that they're dealing with some heavy stuff and if people are going to process that at, at different rates and speeds and in different ways. Um, but that's, that's going to be ongoing. And, uh, both of them, um, Alan and McDermott stressed that there's a lot of people taking advantage of counseling and who will continue to. I mean, I think it's good that we're in an era of sports where athletes can openly talk about needing counseling. So I think that that's just good. And I'm glad that they're taking advantage of it and anybody yeah. in this situation should. So I think that's excellent. And they're, they're getting the cue for that from their coach, right? Who, who was pretty open about, um, and pretty clear to point out, like, I think McDermott said explicitly when he was talking, that's a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness to seek help and, and get it when you need it. So I, I do think, um, it's been pretty clear to me, certainly, and I think to a lot of people who have just sort of watched various pockets of the NFL uh, deal with the situation over the course of, of the week and even just watching everything unfold on, on Monday. Um, Buffalo, I think, feels like they're in pretty good hands with their head coach. I know Josh Allen mentioned that he felt like they had the perfect person in that situation, and it does seem like, you know... It was nice to see a head coach be just open about his emotions and be comfortable getting emotional and um, to lead that team in that situation in a way that didn't shy away from any of that, which is is powerful because sports can be macho and not willing to do that a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, I think football can be the best and the worst of everything about this country. And I think that this situation was some of the worst and but the reaction to a lot of it has been some of the best. And so I am glad that we're having news here that again, we've avoided the worst case scenario. And again, DeMar Hamlin's health is, you know, many people we've all been saying this week, DeMar Hamlin's health is like the most important factor in all this, but there are games scheduled for this weekend. There are playoffs coming in. And so while again, we can all agree, like this is not the important part of this. This is not the priority. 
But what does happen to these games? Because it seems the Bills-Bengals game is not going to be played or not going to be made up or anything. So if this Bills-Bengals game gets fouled as a no contest, like it never happened, what happens to the rest of the NFL season? Yeah, well, and and for Buffalo, right, I think that's part of figuring out how to move forward. Um, Josh Allen said that he felt ready to play on Sunday. It does seem as though week 18 is continuing as scheduled, and it, it seems like the conversations for um, within the Bills organization among players, uh, who I hope are the people who are sort of leading um, queuing everybody else, queuing all the decision makers as as um, it relates to when they play football again. Um, they seem to be saying that they feel ready. They had a closed practice today, but they they practiced. And so all signs say that um, week 18 will continue as scheduled with Patriots bills and, and Ravens Bengals being played as normal. There was a report from Rob Motti of the AP um, that the game, uh, the Bills-Bengals game will not be made up and that that has been decided. And for the record, we're recording this Thursday night, so something could have changed or been solidified or an update could have been made between now and when you listen to this. But Yeah, uh, the competition committee is, is meeting tonight. Um, we may hear about the results of that at some point. Whatever they vote on, they do have to submit to Goodell, who, who could veto it and change it. It's not binding. Um, I guess it would depend on what they vote on, though. I, I don't know why he why have a vote if the commissioner is just going to going to change it. But I guess we'll have to see what happens there. Um, another thing Sean McDermott talked about was that when they went back into the locker room as a team on Monday, um, he asked the team, do you want to keep playing? And the answer to that was overwhelmingly, no, this is not not the right thing to do. And that conversation in included um, an acknowledgement that there were potential playoff ramifications coming from the game. And despite of that, McDermott said that it was overwhelming in favor of uh, what he said was doing the right thing for DeMar. And he said that it pales in comparison to what unfolded. We're talking about human life. So that seems to be, um, <laughs> I think that's the right perspective. That seemed like it was the Bill's perspective, not only now with the benefit of, of hindsight and space, but in the moment, it seemed like they were pretty clear on that. Uh, there are a bunch of, um, possible scenarios for how to deal with playoff seating that I've seen put out there. I think those various options are what the competition committee is going to vote on. So, um, whether there could be a neutral site for the AFC championship game, if a team, affected by um, awarding seeds based on winning percentage with two teams having played one fewer games, that could be an option. And again, I think that's what the the committee is voting on tonight. So we'll have a resolution. Um, but uh, the word from the Bills was that they felt ready to play in week 18 and um, were, were sort of saying come what may to the rest of it. And we're much more focused, rightly so, on uh, just paying attention to what's going on with Demar. Nora, thank you so much for all of this information and for working so hard today. And I honestly am thrilled that this was as cautiously optimistic as it was. So thank you so much. Absolutely, Danny. I'm glad it was good news. All right, now I am here with Ben Solak and Steven Ruiz, and we're going to get into all the games for the last weekend of the regular season here in Week 18, starting with our game of the week, the Green Bay Packers hosting the Detroit Lions in Sunday Night Football. Both those teams are 8-8. Eight and eight. Packers are favored by just under five points. So this game, game of the week, obviously the NFL chose it to flex it into Sunday Night Football as game of the week, but also it just kind of is the NFC playoffs in a nutshell. I will do my best, Steven and Solak, to explain the NFC playoffs as concisely as I can. There are... There is one spot left in the NFC playoffs. This is the simplest that will try to make it. The Packers, the Seahawks, and the Lions are fighting for one spot. So three teams, one spot. If the Packers win, they get the last spot. That's it. Packers are win and in. The Seahawks are playing earlier in the day, though. So there's the Packers, Lions at night, Seahawks are in the day. If the Seahawks lose during the day, then the Packers-Lions game is just a straight-up fight for that last spot. Whoever wins Packers-Lions gets the last playoff spot if the Seahawks lose. If the Seahawks win earlier in the day, 
it's more complicated. If the Seahawks win on Sunday, then like the Lions are like proxy fighting for the Seahawks. So then if the Packers win, the Packers are in. But if the Lions win, then the Seahawks are in. That's if the Seahawks win. It's kind of complicated. That's the simplest I can make it. I hope that makes sense. So with all that said, and a very done low- that segment didn't open with a because the Giants have secured the sixth seed. Well done, Hyphen. Just letting that pitch go by. You know what? That's because I'm saving all my stuff for how the Giants are just going to straight up beat the, and should be favored over the Vikings in the first yes, round of the playoffs. Yes, please. So, then the Eagles get to play the Giants in the divisional round. I love it. Ev- everyone's on the same page. It's all great. So Heifetz is a pro. He's a pro. He's not He's not biased like you. He's not a, a homer. <laughs> Me, who's been like predicting a non-Eagles team to win the NFC every single week of the entire season. <laughs> yes. Well, on that note, on that note, though, we're I mean, we're at this point where it's like, oh, what's going to happen with the NFC? And you know what's going to happen? Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are just coming on strong at the end. And now we're going to have to deal with this just like we thought we would. But so the Packers are on a four game win streak here. They just beat the Vikings by 40. I know it wasn't actually 40, but it was 40 points. And then people got benched. I don't care. The Packers beat the Vikings by 40. Are the Packers back? So like you're a bit of pessimist. I want to start with with Steven. Are the Packers okay. back? Why should everyone not, like? Why should the Packers only be favored against the Lions by like five points? Are they back? No, I think they're like. If you're saying are they back to where they were last year or the year before when we considered them real contenders, I would say no. But I think they're they are a good football team. I think they're the better football team in this matchup, and it's not a surprise. Like good coaching staffs figure things out, and we've seen this offense just kind of by trial and error figure out a way to move the football. They, we've seen them get Christian Watson involved with schemed up stuff, we, and that's helped open up the middle of the field. We've seen the run game evolve, get a little more diverse. Uh, they're attacking the edges of defenses more more so, so they can open up that space over the middle. And that was the big problem early on with this offense is they weren't attacking the middle of the field, which they had so many different ways of doing it. They could run a, a bunch of play-action concepts last year. They had Devontae Adams, who put constraints on the defensive play caller. You, you could only run certain concepts and you had to be mindful of where Devonte was at, at all times. And even if he were, he could still win over the middle and Aaron Rodgers could rely on that. But now I think we're starting to see them get back to that point where maybe they don't have that star, that big threat that forces defenses to spend a, some extra time game planning during the week. But the offense moves the ball consistently now. And that was something we could not say about it over the first half of the season. Now, my trepidation with this team is the defense. I know they had a good game plan against the Vikings last week. They took Jefferson out of the game, but that felt more like a one-off. And I feel like there are still fundamental flaws with this defense. And I think there are flaws that we are going to see exploited in this game against this particular opponent. So like, do you agree with Steven that the Packers magically taking Justin Jefferson out of the game is a one-off? Yeah, so Steven had a nice line there where he said, it's not a surprise the Packers are better because good coaching staffs solve problems throughout the year. I agree with that on the offensive side of the ball. The offensive coaching staff in Green Bay is a coaching staff worthy of trust, and that starts at the top with their head coach. The defensive side of the football, <laughs> we, if, we, if we have a one-week scope on the Joe Barry experience as a defensive coordinator, that's a good coach, man. I mean, running great stuff, finding ways to bracket Justin Jefferson when he's in the slot, clouding coverage him when he's on the outside. They're ba- they basically like they they did what you would want to do with this much talent in the secondary, right? With like a uh, with first round picks and Jerry Alexander and Darnell Savage, with with free agents who signed and Adrian Amos and Russell Douglas. They said wherever Jefferson goes, we get the, the, the an extra man on him, and then we're gonna play pretty much isolation, whether it's like quarters and we're we're reading out number one or we're playing true man coverage. We're gonna play isolation everywhere else, and we're gonna have somebody else beat us. And they did that with resounding success. So if we have a one week scope then yeah, Joe Barry improved. He fixed himself on the defense. We do not, however, have a one-week scope. We have the, the multiple seasons that Joe Barry's been the DC for the Packers. We have the multiple other places that Joe Barry has been the DC before he was the DC of the Packers. And we know that this is not necessarily uh, a coordinator who regularly gets the most out of his talent, who regularly produces playoff caliber defenses. We know that. The Packers hired that. I don't know why they did, but they did. And so... While I like what they did against Jefferson, I'm glad that they solved the problem. You've seen them play more 
Uh, they, play, they play more three safety sets. Darnell Savage, who got like benched at safety, is now their nickel, right? And they play three safety and they play big nickel. Savage is closer to the line of scrimmage. He's effective in, in, in coverage from the slide. He's an effective run fill player. Good, maximizing your talent. They've changed the way that they they get their pass rush going a little bit. They're not just sending five-man rushes with five down players as often anymore. They've got Kings Landing Bari on the field who's generating good pass rush for them, rookie on the outside. Good, you figured out talent. You figured out how to use it. Like, they've solved some issues. But generally, the defense lives and dies off the fact that they have a ton of talent. Barry does not really lift that unit. So LaFleur and the offensive coaching staff doing a ton of heavy lifting on offense. Defensively, I still think there's... Uh, you know, the, you, you go and you find the matchup that you want to hunt. You go and you try to find the the one-on-one that you know you're going to get. You try to find the box count advantage in the running game you know you're going to get. And we've just seen, like, like, like Kyle Shanahan has eaten this defense alive every single time he's found it. I don't see how the Packers survive a Niners meeting in the playoffs. Uh, Dak Prescott has beaten this defense when he's seen it. I don't think, I don't see how you survive a Dak Prescott, Kellen Moore experience in the playoffs. Like, I just think when, when we talk about the top offenses in the NFC, I see them being able to beat this defense far more reliably than the Jenga tower that was Kirk Cousins to Justin Jefferson that kind of fell apart for the Vikings. But for this week, so Steven, you do the quarterback rankings for the ringer, and I'm curious what you think about Rodgers right now because, so the last time the Packers and Lions played, the Lions beat the Packers like 15 to nine. It was super embarrassing. Having said that, in that game, in one hand, that was like Rodgers' worst game of the season. On the other hand, because he had three picks, two of them were in the end zone. On the other hand, if you count the three picks, the Packers also had turnover on downs twice. So that's eight drives, really. And they had five turnovers on those eight drives. And yet the Lions won that game where they got five turnovers, basically, by six points. So I kind of look at that and I'm like, the picks were bad. One was bad. One was kind of fluky. I think the third was like, isn't Aaron Rodgers playing way better than he was in this first game, Steven? I'm curious what you think of Rodgers down the stretch because he's had this broken thumb. And do you think he's playing better? Yeah, I do. I think he's been more accurate like over the course of the season I think he hasn't been as accurate as he has been when he won MVP but we've seen that accuracy improve there are still misses that we didn't used to see last year like we used to take those passes for granted those quick passes which were always on the money now they're sailing a little bit on him but I I, I think that's the biggest difference and I think you've also seen we talked about this early on in the year that his mindset, like you kind of watch him on film and see that he was, he wasn't like really excited to be in this offense and he wasn't trusting the offense. I think that's changed. He seems happier. Yes. Yeah. And I think the willingness to like, and maybe this was him pouting. Like we made jokes about him being like a teenager out on the field, but (laughs) he, he seems to be more willing to create too. I think he's like doing his part more. He's not doing those like, uh, passive aggressive uh, deep balls. He's just throwing up a go ball because he's mad because the, the offense hasn't worked for two drives. So I think his mentality has changed. I think his accuracy has gotten better. I, I really think he's playing at a high level right now. He's a top 10 quarterback. He's a real asset in this matchup and he gives them a, a big advantage over what the Lions have at quarterback. Yeah, I think you're right. Like the arm talent was never gone, but like the throws that the arm usually made were gone and now those are back, right? And it's just because like, I just think things are more steady. Like this Packers offense change in like growth and and evolution is such a good example for me of like one of my favorite truisms of the NFL, which is that development is not linear. Like it would be nice if the Packers walked down week one and Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson and Sammy Watkins and all the new people had some confusions, right? They had some miscommunications. And then every single week we saw them get a little bit better. Oh, I picked up this hand signal. Forgot that one though. And then the next week they remembered both of them. And then the timing was a little better, but that's not how it works. It's fits and starts, it's lulls and swells, it's ups and downs. Like that's how it's always been. And so you have this like valley and like, you know, week four, week five, week six, week seven, where like the offensive line's super banged up. They're shuffling guys around. And 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 you know, Watson's not on the field, he's missing time, and they're just like a total mess. And like, you know, Rogers is pouting and throwing to Samare Toure. Like it's just like it things get ugly and then they get better, you know, like it, it, and they're hitting at the correct time, right? This is a nice peak. It's a nice, it's a nice uh jump for them. With that all said, as fixed as the offense is, because it is, they do lack the explosive, right? And like, you know, like Rodgers was trying to just like create explosives out of nothing by being like, contested ball to Alan Lazar in a first and 10. High yard! It's like, okay, no, it's not, it's not high enough percentage to justify the, the, the attempt here. They've kind of passed on the explosive. They've kind of said like, all right, we're going to find our explosive pass with like, you know, leak releases to Mercedes Lewis. Like we're really going to game it up. They're, they're, they're not a super explosive passing offense, which in this game against the Lions, 
I agree with Steven. I think they're the better team. I could also see them getting beat in a game that's completely different than the first one they played because I can see the Lions pouring points on, right? This this Lions offense always just has this like, you know, they're tipping on the precipice, hit Jamison Williams in stride, and buddy, that's seven, right? And so you 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 have to acknowledge that like, I don't think this Packers offense can survive in, in, in a firefight. And that's that's the scariest thing. Is me picking Rodgers to beat the Lions to, because it's like I can't pick against Rodgers to beat the Lions in a late season search. Is that like wise analysis or is that like the laziest analysis possible? Because I look at this game and I'm like, I, I just keep thinking the Packers look offense. And honestly, their attitude just does seem completely different the last few weeks. And I don't know, like, so you're an Eagles fan. So like if the Eagles did drop some out of the two seed and they had to play this seven seed, the Packers or the Lions. You're not really telling me you'd rather play the Lions than the Packers, right? It's, whenever you ask that question, to me, it's always like a matchup thing. What team do they match up against better? Like, I watched the Eagles and Jalen Hurts run for, I think it was six trillion yards against the Packers. I Pretty single game record, six trillion yards. Yeah, so, like, I'd want to see the Packers, it was. right? Because I, I know what Fair. they can do to this defense, right? So, it's a matchup thing. What I will say is that there's absolutely a... Like, the of the playoffs, I'm always interested in the been-here-before-ism of, of it all, right? Like... I love when like a team like the Packers can be like peaking at the right time with a bunch of guys who have played in these environments. They played in this weather with these crowds this late in the season. They know how to take care of themselves. They know how to prepare. They know what's different. They just know where the edges are. And like that's the thing with Lafleur is like they haven't had the long playoff success. Some Packers fans like got really mad at me when I brought up like Kyle Shanahan's playoff record, despite the fact that he's beaten Lafleur every time. But like Lafleur's been to the playoffs a lot. He kind of he he knows the rhythm. He knows the tempo. I think that's valuable relative to like if a Lions team sneaks in. And the lines are just kind of like, "Woo, this is sick!" You know, you kind of you have that like first timer experience where, where I don't think you're going to be as reliable to like put out your best game here when we when we play in January. Yeah, that I would have like the same answer to your original question. I think it's a matchup thing, especially in this in this matchup where I think both offenses need to have their scheme working in order to get yeah. the most out of their quarterbacks. Having said that, let's say both of these offenses struggle to run the ball or do the scheme stuff on early downs. If it comes down to a matchup between like Jared Goff on passing downs and Aaron Rodgers on passing downs, I'm taking Aaron Rodgers every time. Yeah. And I think these teams kind of have the, have similar strengths and weaknesses, especially on defense where I would say you can run on the lions. And if you can run on the lions, it makes things a lot easier. That's true for the Packers. And now it's a question yeah. of which, which team runs the ball better in the first matchup, both teams, we're fine running the ball, at least by success rate, but like they weren't getting explosives. The Packers did just fine against the run game, though. And I think the Packers are the team with the higher ceiling. So if they can avoid the, the stuff that usually does them in, like not being able to defend the run or not getting the running game going on offense, I think like you see the advantages and talent show up more. I think the Lions have the higher ceiling, but I do think the Packers are better in this game and, and, and win this game. The running game is the, is the key thing there. That Detroit Panthers film, man, holy Moses. We got problems, right? Like the uh, the lack of fear the Panthers had for every single dude in the front seven for the Lions is just like eye-popping. Like that late in the season, to be like, oh, like none of your guys scare us. Like we're just going to move your guys out of the trenches. Like, oh, we're going to leave Aiden Hutchinson unblocked. Darn. Like it's just not, like there's just, there, there were no impact players for the Lions in the front. That's not changing. And the Packers just, the Packers, you know, we just focus so much on like the play action pass and the RPO and everything. The Packers design and coach a really, really nice running game. And that was the first domino to fall in their offensive improvement was getting the running game really working well in like November and, and kind of parlaying that into a better passing game in December. And and the Packers like can attack you in the same way. You talk about that Panthers game, the same way that the Panthers kind of attack them. I know the Panthers under center. Yep. Variety of and runs. Then, the same types of constraints with like attacking the flats, like Aaron Rodgers is better than anyone at throwing bubble screens. They're going to do the jet sweep stuff. I really like from a coaching perspective, from an X's and O's matchup, I really like the Packers in this. And then you, you add in the quarterback thing for me. And that just, yeah. that just seals it. Jared Goff out, out of a dome on the road in potentially cold weather against a Fangio defense in the evening, brother, <laughs> this is, this is, I, if Superman had five kryptonites, this would be Jared Goss game right now. It should be all five of the different varieties of kryptonite in the building. Whew. Uh, wow. 
Wow. Woof. What was that thing about the Patriots defenders said before the Rams Patriots Super Bowl? They're going to make Goff blank his pants. If we show him a look he hasn't seen before, he's going to bleep in his pants. All right. Well, uh, before we move on real quick, just throw a passing glance at the Rams Seahawks game. I'm curious mm-hmm. if you both, I mean, Seahawks are favorite. Do you think that the Seahawks actually pull it out or is it just going to be close? I think it can be wonky because Rams and Seahawks games have been wonky for as long as my living memory. I agree. Uh, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. And like, I refuse to get into a like Baker career saved question mark, but the Rams offense is objectively playing better, right? Like they like, they know where their spots are now. They know where their buckets are now. Like they, it makes sense more than it did with like Walford and Perkins. They were just making stuff up. Uh, but the, the, the one liner on this game is very simple. The Rams give up like the highest completion percentage to opposing quarterbacks in the league. And Gino's a high completion percentage quarterback. I mean, Gino, so long as the, the front doesn't get beaten. And I don't think the Rams are the horses to really put insane pressure on Gino. The fact like Gino played an insane game against the Jets. Now he gets the Rams. Like he gets the Rams secondary. How many Rams secondary players can we name as a team right now? It's going to be a very difficult uh, job for the Rams to stop Gino's passing game. I don't see how they do it. Yeah. And just a reminder for everyone that Aaron Donald's like not playing anymore this season. So that's pretty right. relevant with the Rams day. Yeah. And they don't have the edge rushers to beat these tackles. And that's how they've had problems in the past. Seattle's offense is like when they yeah. can't protect on the edge. Seattle's win over the Jets was so like irritating because if they could have just won one more game and had the playoff spot handled, Seattle would legit scare me because Gino, like a good Gino day is, is, a, is a day that you, sh- you got to sit there and take it, man. You just sit there and take it. There's very little you can do when he's playing at a high level. All right. Monday morning memes and or headlines. Again, I'm going to do my best to go through the AFC playoff picture, but we can start with the simple one, which is the Titans and the Jaguars. They're playing on Saturday. Uh, I will say thank you to the NFL for sparing us the um, the Titans-Jags AFC South title as Sunday Night Football. So it's on Saturday. And it's really simple. It's whoever wins Titans-Jags wins the division. Jag, the losers probably, probably out. Almost definitely probably. Titans, if they lose, they're definitely out. Jaguars, almost definitely out, but they could win it. But regardless, whoever wins Titans-Jags is the AFC South champ and will host a playoff game. Jags have only hosted a playoff game twice in like the 21st century. Um, Steven, I'm curious, especially since Josh Dobbs is the starting quarterback for the Titans this week, and Dobbs was a fifth-round pick out of Tennessee, ironically. First career start for Josh Dobbs was last week. He's been on the Titans for like six weeks total. Steven, I'm curious, with the Josh Dobbs Titans against the Jacksonville Jaguars, who do you think wins this game? And what is your Monday morning meme or sorry, Sunday morning meme and or headline? I'm going to be honest. I mailed this one in. I'm, re- I'm resting my starters. I'm preparing for the playoffs for headlines. I how, just, about we I just, just... how about at the end of the segment, we can all kind of brainstorm a headline at the end once we figure out. the. Outcome. OK, that's fine. I just stole the Jaguars, like the, the Jaguars fans current rallying cry, which is it was always the Jags. And I think what you'll see in this game is they, they've been the best AFC South team this whole time, like even before the Titans collapsed with the injuries, with Ryan Tannehill's injuries, the injuries on defense. I I think some of us, like even on this pod, I think we've kind of hinted at the fact that we thought that the Jaguars still might have a chance even when they were down like three games in the standings. And we've seen that play out. And we see we saw in the first game that they're just a better team. They have a better quarterback. They have a better offense. They I think they have a, a better offensive staff. I don't know if I'm ready to say that Doug Peterson is a better coach than Mike Vrabel, like in their current iterations. But I think Jaguars win this one easily. And I don't think it would have mattered if Ryan Tannehill played. I don't think it would have mattered if Malik Willis played or who plays at quarterback. The Jaguars are just a better team. And I'm not worried about last week, which was, I mean, there were, there was like some, some issues for Trevor Lawrence. I, I thought we saw some of his like early season mistakes pop back up again, but I thought that was just the Jaguars coaching staff saying, we don't care about this game. Like they didn't run any motion. They didn't do any of the scheme stuff they've been doing over yeah. the past month to play with teams. That was a preseason game and they took their starters out in the third quarter. That was a preseason preseason game. Didn't matter. I think they're going to be ready for this game. I think they were prepping for two weeks. I think they're the better team. Josh Dobbs is not an NFL starting quarterback. I think they went by three possessions. <laughs> well, I'm curious. So like, like, is it, Unfair to say with the Titans having Dobbs at quarterback that the plan for Tennessee where they rested Derrick Henry last week is just to give the ball to Derrick Henry and pray. Like, that's all the Titans kind of yeah. have here, right? The best way to win this game for the Titans is to make sure the Jaguars have eight possessions. Max. Yeah. Right? You want, you you don't, not only do you want to give the ball to Derrick Henry on every snap, you don't want him to pick up first downs on first and 10. 
slow your roll, man. Like, like I'll take a, an explosive Derrick Henry run in the fourth quarter. First quarter, second quarter, get get nine yards on first and ten and go down. I want to be eating up downs, baby. I want to be eating up clock. We're gonna slow. We're gonna speed up by slowing down our process. Uh, and that like that's always been one of the prevailing philosophies of Rabel and this this offense is just like when they had Arthur Smith and they had AJ Brown and the flashing game was working really well, they'd kind of go like, oh shoot, like we can kind of like we can pour on points right now. We can get this against this defense. And then they would go now like with, with with the injuries that they have and Traylon Burks popped up on the injury report and they're like throwing first and ten screens to Chica Conquo to try to like generate a passing game. Like yeah, it's gonna be that's how only- they get explosives. Yeah. Tight end screens. This young man, Jacob Conquall can play, man. He's a lot of fun. Go uh, yeah, go Terps. He's, uh, uh, yeah, you're going to see them really try to try to beat Trevor Lawrence by keeping him on the bench. Now, that makes sense just because of the world the Titans are stuck in right now, offensively. Defensively, they don't really have a lot of horses, though, right? They're super banged up. So it's not going to be as easy to stop Jacksonville. But if you are Tennessee, you're looking at a Jaguars team that, like, sure, they, they poured it on you when they played you last. But over the course of the season, the no team in the NFL likes getting inside the 10 and then coming away with no points more than the Jaguars. If their ability to, uh, to like Lawrence with a knucklehead interception, they've got bad fumbles down there, right? J- Peterson will go for it on a fourth down and not get it. If we can make this game short, like beating clock, holding on to the football, and then we just get some Jaguars mistakes late, like we, we beat them on third down, we beat them on fourth down, we, we, they're slopping the red zone, you can keep this thing close. You're doing all of this just to eke your way into the AFC playoffs and get deleted by the Chargers. But they were close with the Chargers a few weeks ago, man. This is the Titans. They hang around. That's why I was like kind of hesitant to, to say that like Doug Peterson on paper, based on resume, is clearly a better coach than Mike Vrabel. He's won a Super mm-hmm. Bowl. But I do think like in this matchup, Vrabel has a chance of making the game ugly, making the game like that. He's going to create an environment, the environment that the Titans need to win the game. Will it work? I don't think so because Josh Dobbs is just, I don't know how you coach around the fact that you have a QB three playing in the biggest game of the season. Yeah. It's just hard to do. I failed to mention the Titans are an utter free fall. Like the Titans were seven and three. They're now seven and nine. They're in a six game losing streak. The Jaguars are in a four game winning streak. The Jaguars are like six and two in their last eight. Like this is as about as clear as it gets of a team going up as another team's going down. And I mean, it's like the Titans, like Titans, there's a whole other situation, but obviously, Titans fired their GM in this stretch. I mean, it's kind of an organization that has been half in, half out on whether they even want to be a contender this season, right. trading away AJ Brown like all year. So also like I, I would point out that like Josh Dobbs isn't like just just a regular backup. They signed him like two weeks ago. He was a Brown until like December 5th. They Titans signed with the practice squad and that he was elevated from the practice squad like two weeks ago. He has been like on right. the roster. And- for two and weeks. Why? Why? Because Mike, because Brable just doesn't like Willis. He That's doesn't the thing. like Malik. Right. Here's the thing. This is like a total tangent, but I'm kind of curious. Why even have Malik Willis as your backup if then when you need a backup, you won't play him? Was he just that bad? But like, don't you know that when he's going? Yes. The so thing much. is, like, the thing is, you watch the Chargers game, and I don't think he was that bad in the Chargers game. They just call bad plays for him. That's not the type of offense you run with Malik Willis. You run like an option-based offense and you take shots off a of play action. And they were running like quick game with an inaccurate quarterback with bad timing. You know what I think of a lot with Vrabel? Kevin Clark uh, like five years ago wrote a story about the 10-year anniversary of the Wildcat that the Dolphins ran. And they the first Wildcat game was against the Patriots. And in that, one of the players tells the story of Mike Vrabel, then the linebacker, screaming at the Dolphins to play real football. And I think about that a lot with whether yeah. Mike Vrabel. That explains a lot, actually. Yeah. yeah. Vrabel, so. with every passing week, I become more convinced that Vrabel at no time wanted his team to draft a quarterback in the third round. And among the quarterbacks who would have been okay with this team drafting in the third round is a good development behind Ryan Tannehill. Malik Willis was the absolute last one. I don't think Vrabel wants to play that style of quarterback. I don't think he wants to develop a rookie quarterback. I don't think he has any interest in it whatsoever. And now he just gets to bench him and play Josh yeah. Dobbs instead. And that's kind of bananas. <laughs> Who's been there for like weeks, not even months. Okay. Yeah. So again, if the Titans lose, they're out. If they win, they're the champion. And then if the, the Jags win, they're the, the division champ. And then if they lose, they can still make it. All right. Rest of the AFC playoffs. There is one wild card spot left. Again, I'll do my best to explain this. 
We'll get through the games, but the basic situation is this. The Patriots, the Dolphins, and the Steelers are all in the running. And the Jaguars too, kind of. If the Patriots win this week, they're in the playoffs. That's it. Patriots beat the Bills. Patriots are in the playoffs. If the Patriots lose, the Dolphins just have to win, and then the Dolphins are in the playoffs. So Pats lose, Dolphins win, Dolphins in the playoffs. If the Patriots and the Dolphins both lose, then the Steelers are win and in. So Pats lose, Dolphins lose, then the Steelers win, beat the Browns, and then the Steelers are in the playoffs. If the Pats, Steelers, and Dolphins all lose, it's complicated and honestly not worth talking about. But we can go through those teams. So the Jets are playing the Dolphins this week. The Jets are just out, period, uh, which is funny. So, again, the Dolphins need a win, and they need the Patriots to lose. They are preparing to... Tua's not going to play because he's concussed again. So either Teddy Bridgewater with a broken finger is going to play, which I kind of doubt, or Skylar Thompson for like the third time this season might have to play. And I'm curious, Steven Solak, I don't know who wants to take this, but I'm curious that, do you think that Skylar Thompson playing quarterback this week is outweighed by the fact that the Dolphins did remove their ping pong table from their locker room this week? I worked a long time on a ping pong related meme for this. And it just turns out there's not a lot of terminology in ping pong. I was like, common ping pong terms, question mark. And they were like, forehand, backhand. I was like, okay, that's useless to me. I wanted to buy, I needed more like insider, insider jokes here. Uh, the ping pong table thing is extremely dumb. What is magnitudes dumber, a thousand times dumber, is the reports that are floating around that like Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, might just do ed- everything this season. I've seen... Fire I don't think those were reports. I think that was speculation by one columnist that people then mistake as reports. I don't yes, think Mike I agree with fired. you. Okay, that was someone was. saying, oh, what if they got fired? And then someone's like, oh, someone's reporting they're getting fired. Like, no one reported that. It didn't even say Mike McDaniel. It just said everyone's job is at risk, which is like is a meaningless statement because yeah. that's not true. <laughs> so here's the thing, though. What do the Dolphins Wait, what's do? the headline? What's the headline? Oh, well, I oh. was going to do like into a new era. With like Tua looking sad and like a question mark at the end, because like what if they move on from Tua? It's like into a new era. Who wins the game? Pretty good. Well, in this instance, I have the Dolphins losing. I don't think the Skylar Thompson Dolphins are capable of beating the Jets, even the Mike White iteration of the Jets, Uh, just with how well the Jets defense plays and the fact that like for as presumably quarterback, you know, exchangeable this Dolphins offense is, we really haven't seen like any of the backups play extremely well. And it's because they just don't trigger as fast as Tua does. So they like the, the Dolphins will get like the same stuff that they usually get open, open, but the ball won't be out with the same level of trust that Tua has in Mike McDaniel. Like he hasn't like learned the coding. He's not like as down pat, total complete blind trust in the offense. And like with, with Skyler Thompson, like Skyler just, I don't think processes fast enough to, uh, to get that done the way Tua does. And so like, I like, even though Tua doesn't play, I think like you're, you know, with, in the context of these rumors slash speculation slash kind of made up things, I was doing a into a new era sort of a thing. I will say that like, you know, Armando Asaguero not withstanding, like Breer said this week that like Brady might end up in Miami still as like their quarterback next year. Like, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibilities that Steven Ross does banana stuff because he's Steven Ross. And what he does is he does banana stuff. I mean, I don't even think is that bananas like, wanting more at the quarterback position. I think like they need a sense of urgency. Tyreek's not going to be Tyreek for three more years. Jalen Waddle is on a rookie contract. He's not going to be on a rookie contract forever. I feel like they need to capitalize on this window. Like, I agree with you. I, I do think that's like the, the conversation following this game. You could have went with like net loss, like something like easy like that. Oh, net. I actually think ping-pong? into a new era is not bad question mark, but I think that for this no, game, if you're going for the ping pong, you got to go yeah, with the ping pong. Yeah, oh, right. net, net. Lo- oh, net I see. What you're yeah, that's yeah they lose funny. and then they lost the net. Uh, <laughs> net lo- I that's was actually gonna, pretty good. Right. I was trying to work on like, uh, like if the Dolphins win, it's like run the table, parentheses, back into the locker room, close parentheses. <laughs> I mean, honestly, <laughs> good. That's well, what you should have won. had them winning. I don't think they win. Well, while you're talking <laughs> Brady, cares? if there were three teams that you thought Brady could sign with as a free agent, because he's going to lead the Bucs. If there were three teams, it's, the Dolphins, the Jets, and the 49ers, right? And the Jets is the question of, like, it's probably the most convenient for his personal life, but it's whether the Jets and the Brady alike can get over, like, the extreme personal hatred they have of each you other. Like, you don't like the Raiders as a top three team? Uh, I, I mean, I guess in a way, I kind of think the Raiders are 
turmoil. I don't, I, I don't really understand why every quarterback has the Raiders on their list other than leverage. I feel like the Raiders are the leverage team, but like it's either. I mean, I guess they could, but Rodgers has them there. But like the teams actually want to go play for the Raiders. Raiders got cap space. They got Devontae Brady specifically. There's Josh McDaniels there. You get Las Vegas. I don't know what the tax situation is in Las Vegas, but I feel like when Devontae went there, it was a big deal that like tax wise, it's way better to be in Las Vegas. And also like Brady, as we know, like historically, like doesn't really care about contract structure. Too why would Brady go there and not San Francisco with a better team where he's grew up playing? Not, like if you're going to go that not, far. I hear you. I hear you. I'm just saying like, I think the Raiders are absolutely a top three team for for Brady, just with the with over the Jets, I would yeah. say the Jets. I mean, I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know what the Jets are going to do coaching staff wise. Matt Lafleur was kind of doing some like, oh, if I get fired, I've been fired. Michael Lafleur, excuse me, I've been fired before. My brother's been fired. I don't know. He was making some weird <laughs> comments in the media this week that I, don't, I didn't. My father really before him. Yeah, I just yeah. the The point Stephen makes is a really interesting one. The Dolphins are pot committed to this roster, Tyreek. Like Bradley Chubb, trade for him and then extend him. They have big money on Xavier Howard. They have big money on Byron Jones, right? Like this is, they built this to be ready right now. And they also had a guy who was like second in the MVP odds midseason at quarterback, but also like has the health situation. And you also like, even if you're a huge Tua fan, you know that he's kind of a cog within the wheel of that offense. Like you, sh- you can get the, higher I, elevation to, play. I don't think they think that. I don't think they just agree. They don't. That. They don't. I promise <laughs> you that. Well, I'm, I'm Car- saying, producer I'm saying- Carlos in the NFL show alone would just be like, Walks the throttle you for some. Well, I, no, no, but that, that's fine. Dolphins fans, I'm not talking about. I'm, I'm talking about like in, in the building. I'm talking about okay. like given the way Mike McDaniel calls offense, he knows that there are better quarterbacks in the league than Tua. Quarterbacks who can elevate this offense beyond what it is. I, I, haven't, I haven't really thought about it, but like Dolphins being very aggressive in terms of like making trades and stuff does make sense to a degree. Just I don't trust Stephen Ross to make the right decisions, yeah. figure out what the wrong ones are. We have all offseason to talk about it. I will just say big picture that the Jaguars, Dolphins, there's something very Florida about it that we're talking about these teams making the playoffs. Honestly, they did the same thing. They spent a ton of money to get better, and they did get better in the short term. But a lot of times when you just throw money out in free agency, you get short term better, and then you kind of implode. That is what happens a lot. I'm not saying that'll happen to either the Jaguars or Dolphins. And also, the Jags have Trevor Lawrence, which is like different. Um, the Dolphins traded for Tyreek Hill. It's different. But generally, when you spend a lot of money, you do have to get better faster because if not, then you wasted your the money. The Jags, five years ago, it happened to the Jags. They spent a bunch the of Giants. money and then and they and they committed yeah. to in uh, the Giants, too. They made the playoffs the, the one year and then it imploded. Yeah. The Jags committed yeah. to Blake Bortles, doubled down, gave him an extension, and it fell apart. In an exactly. and, and this is why I love the Lions so much. You you look at anything the Lions have done the last couple offseasons, and you look what Dan Campbell said when he got hired. He says, you build through the draft. You have to build through the draft. You have to develop. You can't do this in free agency. You have to build through the draft. They might be a playoff team. Go look at their free agent spending this offseason. Deshaun Elliott, one year, five million. DJ Chark, one year, four million. They didn't do it. Like everybody else went out and tried to buy a team. And the Lions said, no, 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 no. We develop here. And they're at a similar spot to the Jags, similar spot to the, the Dolphins, where they're right on the precipice. That's why, like, in terms of like long term builds, the Lions are the ones that I like the most. Yeah. And then just to button up this Dolphins one, honestly, I, I find it very hard at this point to talk about this Dolphins team because I think as you guys have made very clear this year, this Dolphins offense is about like to his strength, processing, 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 quick decisions. The reality is two had three concussions this year. Got replaced by Teddy Bridgewater. Then Teddy Bridgewater was literally concussed after one pass. And, and then his th- the third string guy like has barely played football. And so it almost feels like this whole season, it's kind of like, I actually like Steven's analogy about bowling, which he's used a few times this year. And it's like, I, I almost don't know what to even say where it's like, well, the quarterbacks couldn't process the offense after they were concussed with brain injuries. I, I, I It's kind of impossible, honestly, for me to like evaluate what they're supposed to do. And so I, I, I don't know, but we'll go from there. So whatever happens, if the Dolphins do sneak into the playoffs, it's like, obviously, I don't think Skylar Thompson's making a run. Um, but it's, it's a tough year for Miami. Next game here, the Browns are at the Steelers. Browns are just out of the playoffs, period. The Steelers are actually in if they can beat the Browns. And again, they just need the Jets to lose, which is possible, and the Patriots to lose. So the Jets, Patriots lose, the Steelers are in. Uh, you two, this is kind of funny. We have a line that I think the two quarterbacks, you two have pissed off people about the most, which is just the two of Kenny Pickett back-to-back. But you two are kind of like, I think Stephen canceled Kenny Pickett like a month or two ago and just being like, Kenny Pickett, all quarterbacks of his ilk. You know, it was like no good. I'm curious, have you been moved at all after Kenny Pickett has had easily the best two moments of his career and back-to-back with basically a game-winning drive under the two-minute warning uh, in primetime back-to-back weeks? 
No. Yes, but I, not by that. I don't get moved by like stuff like that. Like he threw a, a game winning pass against a banged up Ravens team. I, I don't know. I don't think that's gonna matter. Like we, I, I you feel like we C- fall- Chris Collinsworth saying it was Mahomes esque. That doesn't get oh your blood God. pumping. We fall for this stuff every time. Like Baker Mayfield just two weeks ago just did basically the same thing, and everyone was like, "Oh, Baker's back!" And then he scores ten points against the Chargers. Like, no, yeah. I I think he like Pickett is. I don't know. No, not, not he hasn't done anything to move me. He's the same guy. It's like the results have been a little bit, bit better, but no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's always a quarterback doing something that Mahomes does. It's just that week in and week out, the quarterback doing what Mahomes does is different, and Mahomes is Mahomes every week. Okay, but I, I don't mean... Yeah. I'm also, not saying yeah. Kenny Pickett He might have thrown that pass to another person, by the way. I'm, yeah, saying, I'm still not convinced yeah. that he what threw I'm that to I'm saying is, I think Steelers fans are pretty jazzed that this rookie yeah. quarterback that people have been, including them, have been content to like, I don't know if they're going to make it. And then he goes down and beats the Raiders mm-hmm. on that game. And then wow. just as your Impressive moment. Impressive win. Well, I'm just saying, this, then he, the next week he goes down and beats their main arch rival. And I'm just giving you again the opportunity to completely rip the hearts and hope I've, away from Steelers yeah. fans. So I've said this on, on, on Twitter, and I think I've said it on a pod previously. Kenny is adjusting better to the NFL than I thought he would. Kenny made so much hay at Pittsburgh in winning with athleticism, arm talent, and escapability that when he made it to the NFL level, I thought that he would really, really, really try to live on that, stumble into a lot of bad plays, not be able to create as many explosives. And we saw that early. That sensation absolutely 100% happened. But much faster than I anticipated, Pickett started to realize, like, oh, shoot, I got to kind of, like, ball out quickly in the pocket. I like I, I can't get away from these players this easily. I can't make these throws as easily. I'm going to throw into coverage. I'm going to throw picks. And he, like, settled down a lot faster than you see from often on rookie quarterbacks. A big part of that is Kenny's older, right? Kenny's a ton more experienced. He's 24. So he's seen a lot more reps. He's played a lot more. And he's just more mature than your average, like, you know, first-round quarterback who's 21 going out there and kind of just still trying to like, you know, figure out which way is north. So he settled in very nicely. And then every so often he still has that play, right? He has that throw to, to Najee Harris, which right. He may not have been targeting Najee Harris, but who cares? He's he's like, you know, he gets outside of the pocket and he makes, you know, he staves off a rusher and then he makes a sidearm throw and it's a touchdown. It's worth remarking. The reason Kenny was under pressure at that throw is because he ran toward the defender, which is not optimal, which is still him kind of, trying to play a lot of like athleticism and like kind of backyard football when he's not physically built to do that. But he, he absolutely 100% is further ahead on his learning curve than I thought he would be. And that's impressive. And that's important. You, I would, I thought after watching Pickett's first couple of starts that I would end this season going like, man, like Pittsburgh's really got to like fix the line and like get a great OC and like really do a lot to try to, you know, create a good enough environment that Kenny Pickett can develop. I don't feel that way. Kenny's developing despite some shakiness on the offensive line, despite a poor offensive coordinator. There's a way to help him out more. There's a way to kind of build an offense around him. Don't think that he's going to end up the next Mahomes, you know, all jokes aside. But he's he's got an arc now where he's going to hold the job for a couple of years and going to have continued opportunities to grow and, and see if he can get better. So they'll, they'll, okay. draft, they'll draft a quarterback in two years. <laughs> so, all right, for this game. Without a Steelers, doubt. <laughs> but the Steelers are better than the Browns, though, right? I mean, the Browns just beat Washington, but they had put Carson Wentz back. But, yes. I mean, they, Steelers are mm, I think the Browns are going to win this game. Really? Yes. I don't. Ah, it's a could the headline line. be terrible throw in the towel. My sure. My, <laughs> yeah, my headline, assuming Steelers win, was either Tom win or Tom him, whichever one you guys find more acceptable. Huh. Yeah. I do think Tom wins good because the Steelers, Tomlin keeping up the never had a losing season streak, even in this season, would be pretty pretty remarkable, pretty incredible. For the third year in a row, this would be the most remarkable season that he ended at or above 500, yes. right? Like the the end of the Ben era was like, okay, there's no way he can keep doing this. And then they're fine, right? And then you walk out of this era and they're like super injured on defense. They've got like a rotating room of guys at corner. They're picking up William Jackson in the middle of the season. Najee can't play. So they got like undrafted free agent Jalen Warren. And they're just here. At 500, well, just the, the same old stuff, man. It's unbelievable. Four years. You go back four years, you include the Duck Hodges, Mason Rudolph. Oh, my God. The Duck four Hodges, years. Mason Rudolph. Jeez, man. And then w- the year before that was when Le'Veon Bell didn't show up to work, right? I can't keep track anymore. I mean, the yeah. first – here's the thing. The first and last thing I do every year when I try to prep for the season, and obviously in between two, but, like, I always just try to, like, okay, who are the teams that won't make the back to the playoffs? There's mm-hmm. always at least four. Sometimes there's six. But, like, who will not make it back? 
Every, the only team that I kept out of the playoffs every single time was like, well, there's no chance the Steelers will get back to the playoffs. I kept forgetting they made the playoffs last year. And it's like, there's no chance Pittsburgh will return. The fact that the Steelers even can return Danny. in a pretty realistic scenario is freaking crazy. Danny, I sat down with my father and I showed him before Christmas. I arrived for Christmas. I'm trying to explain to him the Steelers aren't making it this year. And I showed him 538, 0.4% <laughs> chance to make the playoffs. Danny. Yeah. Four out of a thousand. I was in Pittsburgh for Christmas. I had these same questions. So like, I had the same eight, things. I, like, so I had to answer them. Four out of a thousand chance. I was like, this is not going to happen. And we walked it through. It was like, you need to be room for the Jets to lose to these guys. The Dolphins to lose to those guys. This, that, and the other thing. <laughs> and here we are, not only with a 15% chance to make the playoffs going to 538, but with a 15% chance, that's like absolutely going to happen. Like, they, at least like the first two of the first three pieces will happen and it'll be there floating around and it's just obnoxious and I can't stand it. They're going to uh, have a chance. They're going to yeah. lose the game, though. The, the Like, I know that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going back to it. They're going to lose the game. Like, I don't. Why? Who? Why are the Steelers considered a better team? They have a, a way worse point differential. They're way worse on all like on the defense offense. has been really good. So, yeah, like, defense has been really good. Back. And they've been solid offensively over the last several weeks, right? Like if they've you kinda, scored 29 if, points in the last two weeks against. I'm just saying, if you like do like last six weeks EPA, last six weeks DVOA, they don't. They're not terrible. Boswell and Mitch Trubisky was the quarterback in the best offensive performance they've had in the last three weeks. True. I do think that like the Browns are going to struggle to score. I don't trust Kenny and Matt Canada in the offense, but I do trust this defense to keep this thing. Like you say, like they'll have a chance. One score throughout the game, fourth quarter drive. Same thing they had oh, against yeah. the Ravens. Yeah. All right. Steven thinks the Browns are going to win. That would be funny, actually, if the Steelers get everything they need to do done and then they lose the game. But I'm, I'm betting on Tomlin. All right. Lastly here. So that's the AFC wildcard scenario, basically. Um, so again. Hold, hold up. Hold up. Oh. Do you want to do an avatar bet with me? I'm me? hot. I'm two, two oh, weeks in a row. Yeah, I'm calling you out. No, I'm too much oh. of a coward for an avatar bet. Uh, yeah, you know what? Screw it. What's the line? Let's see here. Uh, two and a half. Cleveland favored, by the way. Oh, wait, no. Pittsburgh favored. <laughs> nice I'll try. Do it, I'll do it even. Just straight up. I'll take the Steelers to win. Okay, cool. Wow, Steven right, feeling himself. Mm -hmm. wow, Heat that. check. Incredible. Uh, wow. All right, so there we go. Avatar bet. Oh, my God. I don't know what I just got myself into. Looking to get more out of this NFL season? Well, now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book because new customers get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's free bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. And then you can bet on everything from the money line to touchdown scores to over, under, yards. I bet my Twitter avatar this week on the Steelers to beat the Browns. I'm a believer. Give me Mike Tomlin. Give me another winning season. Take the Steelers or you could just bet with Steven. You decide. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. FanDuel is also now live in Ohio, so make sure you get in on the action with great offers just for you and throughout January. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in free bets when you join FanDuel with the promo code RINGERNFL. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLE or visit fandle.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, or Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777. Visit ccpg.org slash chat Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Lastly here, uh, I, honestly, there's no easy way to talk about this, but like, obviously, again, as we said at the top, the DeMar Hamlin situation, he's doing better. That's, his health is what matters. But I'm curious, would you guys want to talk the Ravens-Bengals game for a hot second, or do you want to talk about kind of these scenarios about what could be some of the fixes to the, uh, the playoff schedule? Ravens-Bengals game is this. If Tyler Huntley plays, the Ravens will lose the football game. <laughs> Lamar Jackson has missed 14 practices. I don't think he's going to play. Ravens are in trouble. They're getting Marcus Peters back to practice this week. They're getting Calais Campbell back to practice this week. It's all coming together for like a relatively healthy Ravens team to enter the playoffs. Then Lamar will hop right in and the offense will go right back to where it was when he was playing. They were fifth in DVOA weeks one through 12 when Lamar was healthy. Just go right back and then the Ravens will be fine. However, Lamar Jackson has not practiced in 14 practices. And I think that there's some, there's some concern there in Baltimore long-term in terms of what Lamar's going to look like for this upcoming week and if they're going to see him for the rest of the season and so on and so forth. Yeah, and then lastly, again, recording this Thursday, uh, we don't know the deal with the Bills-Patriots game. Uh, you know, I, I'm, we're not going to dissect it from an X's and O's perspective, but I don't think any analysis like even matters for this game, not even like from the the morality thing. I just think it's just impossible to even speculate how that situation is going to affect them mentally. Like the one thing, the one image I can't shake is the look on Josh Allen's face when he was sitting on the bench. And like at that moment, the NFL should have just called it. And I, there's some disagreement on like how that process went down, but that I will never forget that look on his face. I think, I think that's how um, I think a lot of people felt that way. I, I, I felt the same thing for me. It was Josh Allen and Joe Burrow standing next to each other, both looking shell shocked. And I think in particular, because one of the reasons we lionize these people, I think Burrow in particular is because like what's Burrow's quality? It's like clutchness and honestly, fearlessness. Joe Burrow looked afraid. That like really freaked me out. Uh, and then it made sense later when you found out that the CPR was happening. But uh, it was. Yeah, it just kind of makes everything feel small. You know what I mean? It kind of just straight, you know, it's yeah. cliches are cliches for a reason. And like, you know, all, all the corniness, like, you know, best things in life are free and like tell people you love them. I will say I have to shout out Tyler Dunn, who has a Substack along TD.com. And he has an interview with Tamar Hamlin and Tamar Hamlin, like literally actually says that and says he's lost so many friends from childhood that he just everyone in his neighborhood just tells each other, you know, I love you when you see each other because you never know when you'll see people again. And um. Honestly, it's hard for like those kind of cliches to penetrate your day to day life. But then something like that happens and you're like, oh, my God. Um, so I think football a lot of times is like the best and worst. Of American culture, and I think that we saw both of that this week, but um, yeah, it's you know, we'll see what ends up happening with all this. But again, just to kind of reiterate what we said at the top, all this stuff, you know, it's for entertainment for better and for worse. And, you know. We'll see what happens with these games, but ultimately it's not that important enough, you know, not to be corny, but like, you know, cherish the people in your life, take the joy in what you can. And um, speaking of which, I've really enjoyed doing the pod with you guys this season. Not the way we envisioned finishing out the regular season, but like, I've really had a good time potting with you and Solak and Steven and um, thank you, Isaiah and Eduardo for all the help on the production end. And um, it's been fun. So on that note, thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you again to Isaiah and Eduardo. Uh, it's the Ringer NFL show see you next week